Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about Moses, and then next week we'll kind of finish up um, the author of Hebrews talking about um, specific examples of faith. And so I'm going to be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. I'm going to pray, and we'll spend just a few moments considering what the Lord would have for us. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let's pray. Father, we ask now by the Spirit of Christ that you would speak to us, challenge us, convict us, encourage us, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I was reading an article about decision fatigue. Um, a lot of neuroscience people will say that your brain, in making decisions, is kind of like a muscle. And just like any muscle, you can overwork a muscle. You know, you go to the gym and, you know, you're, you're benching and, you know, eventually you're doing it enough times, your arms kind of your muscles kind of give up a little bit and so you have to kind of rest a day or two and go back at it well the same thing is with our brains there's only so many decisions that we can kind of make in a day before our brain becomes tired and we need rest and what was interesting about this article it was kind of saying that ceos really like people who make tons of decisions every single day from from really big ones to small ones like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, Elon Musk of Tesla, in order to kind of save space in their brains, all the very easy and simple decisions, they streamline. So many of these people will wear the exact same thing every day. They just get five pairs of the same pants, five shirts, same socks, same shoes, so they don't even have to think or make a decision. They eat the same thing for breakfast and lunch and any decision that can just be automatic they'll go ahead and streamline it in order that they won't become weary in the bigger decisions of life and of business well i say that because i think when it comes to christians and when it comes to walking with jesus there is a sense in which sometimes we grow fatigued we grow weary. Allow me to read uh, just a quick verse out of Galatians chapter 6. But let each one test his own work and let his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have his own bear to his own load. Let the one who has taught the word of God share all things with the one who teaches. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit 
will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he gives the context. Let us reap good things. And this is the verse I want to share with you. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in season we will reap if we do not give up. There is a sense when we plant gardens and we cultivate and we dig and we put things in and we plant and we wait. We're like little children who after three days of planting seeds expect to be eating from their garden. And I think the same thing happens with us. We do good for three days, maybe four days, and our problems don't immediately go away. And we kind of just say, ah, what's the point? And the Bible is very clear that to be someone who has faith is someone who is willing. And this is my main point, if you want to listen very carefully. Someone who has faith is someone who is willing to suffer in the short term in order to benefit in the long term. We are so quick to give up of doing what is right because it is uncomfortable, because we don't see the obvious benefits of doing what is right. If I can just even have a moment of humility about my own life, there are times where me being a pastor, I wonder, man, does anything actually happen? I pray and I preach and I try to meet with people and I'm in meetings and I think well. And sometimes it just seems like all the seeds of faith that I'm planting haven't germinated at all. And there's a temptation for even me to kind of just be like, oh man, ministry is a grind. It's hard. The Christian life is hard. And then one time I was reading a book and the pastor who was writing this book just said it so perfectly. We always tend to overestimate what we can do in one year and we tend to underestimate what could be done in 10 years. You know, this coming Wednesday, I will have been the youth pastor of this church for six years. You know, when I think back to this last January of the things that I've accomplished, I don't know. I'm not saying there's nothing, but it can be kind of discouraging. And even though six years isn't the most amount of time, there's a sense in which You know, I can look and see the faith of people like Blake and Kimberly. Abby. You know, like the graduating seniors, Emma, Leah, Bethany. Are there any more? I won't leave anyone out. Haley, I'm sorry. Absolutely, Haley. And there's a sense of like, when I saw those, you know, the, the first, I don't think, Bethany, you came to creation that first trip. But when I saw those first three, I was like, man. And I don't want to embarrass them, but it, I, I just tell you, like, there's a sense in which we, we tend to underestimate what can be accomplished. We, in, in the short run, and, and we, excuse me, we overestimate what can be, happen in the short term, and we underestimate what can happen in the long term. And so tonight in this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, 11, I just saw 12 there. 
we get two examples of people who are willing to suffer in the short term in order that they may benefit in the long term. And I want to show us how faith is willing to look forward to the future promises in order that we might have the faith to live for God today. And so the first example we see is actually two people. Moses' parents. They are examples of people who had short-term suffering, but for long-term gain. Now, just quick, quick, quickly about Moses. Moses was by far, other than Jesus, Israel and, and Jewish's greatest leader. He led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, got them to the edge of the promised land. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now think about the great man that Moses became. Literally, he's called in Scripture the most meek person. It's quite the title. Now, let's, let's rewind to the very beginning of his life. His parents are living in slavery in Egypt. And Pharaoh is threatened by all of the babies of Israel, thinking that they're going to grow up to be some big army and overthrow the Egyptians. And so he orders that any male that is born must be killed. Imagine holding, holding a baby, knowing that there's a country that is so racist that wants to kill every newborn baby. But what does it say about the parents? Look what it says. Really interesting, right? Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Isn't that just kind of interesting? Isn't that going to just strike you? Is that the kind of language we, we hear a lot in the Bible? But in essence, his parents were taking a risk. They knew that by hiding this baby, if they were to be caught, they themselves would have been killed. And hopefully we all know the story. After three months, Moses' parents ask his older sister, Miriam, put him in a little basket and send it over to Pharaoh's house. And Moses is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter who becomes his mother. And so first, they, they hide their child for three months. They, they disobey the government, the civil disobedience. And two, they give up their son. Two observations I'll make here. First observation is this. Human life is worth suffering for. Human life is worth suffering for. You see, the Israelites at this time had enough theology of God to know that every single person was made in the image of God. You know, I, I'm not one to post a lot on social media about big social issues. I'm not against people who do. Um, maybe I'm just afraid that I'm just kind of adding to the noise in an echo chamber. But we've had a lot 
of uh, you know, racial distress in our country in the last couple of weeks and, and really in the history of this country. And let me be very clear, um, none of my comments do I want to be prescriptive of do this or be this. But what I hope to rather do is to infuse a biblical logic, you know, the principles of what scripture says, and hopefully that you could take that logic and those principles and see how they naturally would apply to life. There's a sense in which if you read the Bible, you cannot ignore the fact that God cares for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for the poor, for those who the world thinks less of. And I just have to say, when I read this passage this, uh, you know, this week, I, I just saw the natural fit into the culture that we are currently living through. And, and my, my logic to you is this. Human life is worth suffering for. And that means, guys, listen, if that means if there is a human being telling you that they are suffering in a way that another human being is not suffering, that you should listen. It, it is not up to us to defend or to tell them how they, how they should really feel. I mean, imagine if you had a big problem in life and you came to your parents and you told them and they delegitimized how you felt and told you that you were wrong for feeling those things. Sometimes we need that. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but there's a sense in which we want to feel heard and understood. And something about this, knowing that Egypt was trying to kill this beautiful baby boy, makes me think about the world that we currently live in. Is a black baby just as beautiful as any other skin? color of a baby every baby is beautiful every person is an image bearer of God and there's a sense in which Moses' parents here are giving us a principle human life is worth suffering for that we should suffer and do things to make sure that all image bearers have justice and love and peace and how all that gets played out in the world, I'm not sure. I don't have the answers. I don't want to be a cop-out, but I'll generally tell you that I think the way that as disciples of Christ that we are the salt and the light is by doing the right thing in a hundred small different ways. It's by doing the small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. Most change does not happen in quick and vast reform. I wish that tomorrow I could wake up and I was super disciplined and work out every day for an hour. That I could just lose 30 pounds by waking up tomorrow. Wouldn't that be nice? And so I know that's kind of a rabbit trail, but I thought it was a good fit and um, something to consider. But just think about this for a second. Moses' parents were willing to suffer, to give up their son, to disobey orders, and look at the long-term benefits. Moses became Israel's greatest leader. Are we willing to suffer to do the right thing? Maybe the better question is, how long are you willing to suffer to do the right thing? Maybe you could say no to looking at that thing for a day. 
Maybe you're willing this, this one time to ignore that annoying comment from a friend. Maybe this one time you'll bite your tongue and not say what you really think. But how about the second time? How about the third time? How about the fourth day? Are we willing to say no and suffer in the short term in order to enjoy the benefits of the long term? And this leads us to the second example, Moses himself. Go ahead and look down with me in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, in the book of Acts, it's actually um, when Stephen was being stoned to death, he, give, he gives a whole recount of all of Israel's story. And he actually says that when Moses was 40 years old, he left Pharaoh's household. So I'm sure all of you have had your vision of Moses distorted by that bunk movie, um, Prince of Egypt, right? He was not just some young man, right? So more than that, he was 40 when he left and then he went into the wilderness for 40 years. The dude was old. The dude was old when he came back and did all that stuff with Pharaoh. But he's 40 years old, you know, and, and one commentator said that, that Moses was old enough to have lived through all of the royal life, riches, power, all of the things that, that came with being you know, an adopted member of Pharaoh's household to see how vain and empty what the world gives us. And we don't actually know what the tipping point was. You know, I think I always kind of wondered like, well, how did, how did Moses know that he was adopted? Pretty simple. I don't look like my mom, you know? He would see his own people who looked just like him being mistreated. You know, I, um, again, I, I'll, I'll try to paint a picture here, but, but imagine, you know, you, you're Hispanic, you're from Mexico, okay? But you get adopted by a white family and you live in a normal white life, even though you're Hispanic. But yet you watch your whole entire country live under horrible slavery at some point, you feel like you're just, you're fake. Like that's where you truly belong. And so that's why even Moses, he sees one day an Egyptian hurting one of his fellow Hebrew Israelites. And out of anger, what does Moses do? Yeah, he strikes him down dead. Moses kills a man. But more than that, it's, it's not just that, that Moses kind of like saw his people. It says something very helpful for all of us. Look down again with me at verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Can you imagine what Moses' adopted parents, his adopted siblings, all the Egyptians thought of him. 
Can you imagine the gossip that went around? Did you hear that Moses went back? Can you imagine what they would say about him? How ungrateful. I did all of that for him. I took him in as one of my own, and now he just turns his back on me. Imagine the object of slander and ridicule that Moses must have had by leaving the pleasures of Egypt and going over to the land of Goshen and living with his people. Why? Because he was looking forward to something. Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people debate what that really means. It's not to say that Moses understood exactly who Jesus was, but Moses would have understood that all the sacrifices were pointing to something. Later in Deuteronomy 18, Moses writes about a future prophet who would come and he would be the greatest prophet. I think Moses knew enough about his own people's you know, ancestry through the promises of Abraham and all of that to know that one day there would be someone. And there's a sense here in which, again, Moses is willing to say, hey, I have it made in the shade. I have all the money, all the wealth, all the things that I want to do. But I'm saying, no, now that I may enjoy my reward in the future. You guys, listen very carefully. This is what people who have no faith are unable to do. They are unable to say no to the sinful pleasures of this world now in order that they may have future glory with Christ. This is what it means to be someone who has faith. That I, I see the pleasures of sin. Can I tell you something, guys? Sin has some pleasure. I would be lying to you if I said it didn't. There's a reason why you sin. You ready for it? It's because you love it. Because it feels good. It's because it's natural. But true faith sees that, man, even though there's pleasure in doing what I want to do, even though there's pleasure of following the systems of this world, when I compare the pleasure that is to be mine in Christ, there is no comparison. How were Moses' parents and Moses himself able to come to this conclusion that they'd rather suffer in the short term in order to gain the benefits of the long term? Very simple. Faith. They had faith. So let me, let me, uh, let me apply this. Let's, let's get down to our level for a second. I think there's a, a number of things that surface, right? There's a sense in which it is good and it is right to want to be liked by your friends. The Bible is not masochistic in that it just calls you to hate good things for no good reason. It's not telling you to be, you know, a form of asceticism where you have to deny any good pleasure of this world. But there is a sense in which the Bible is telling us this one thing. Would you rather 
be liked by your high school friends and all your peers and have their esteem? Or would you rather fear God and live for Him? Let me tell you something. When we get these two mixed up, here's what will happen. We will do anything to please our friends so they will like us. And that typically means disobeying God to do it. This is why we struggle so much with peer pressure. This is why we struggle so much of just wanting people to like us and we'll dress a certain way, talk like they talk, watch what they watch. And again, it's not wrong to want to have friends and have people who like you, but there's a sense in which we would rather have the praise and the approval of people more than we would want the praise and the approval of our Heavenly Father. But let me even drive this a little further because I think most of you, I think I know most of you, it's not like you get to school or you live your life and you say, I don't care at all what God thinks. I just want to be loved by these people. It's not like black and white. But let me tell you how I think it usually shows itself. And I'll, and I'll try to conclude my comments. I can see some of you are getting cold. We want a form of Christianity that I can kind of keep in my pocket, that I can kind of have my Jesus, have my Bible, but I have a form of Christianity that doesn't really ever offend people or make them think that I look weird. We want that superficial Jesus. It feels good. When it's convenient, I love it. But if it ever costs me anything, or if anyone ever thinks that I look stupid or bigoted, oh, I'm not that kind of Christian. You see, even as we practice our faith, there's a sense in which we still want ties with Egypt. It's almost like, Moses wants to go hang out during the day with his Egyptian friends, but at night he goes back home with his Hebrew friends, right? And let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you. With the gospel, it is a binary decision. And what, the, what, that, what I mean by that is it is either you are all in or you are not. And so what faith is trying to teach us here are you willing to say no to the pleasures of sin now in order that you may have resurrection and eternal life forever? Sin does promise pleasure. Are we really willing to say no that we may enjoy greater pleasures later? I'm going to take you to one last passage. Do me a favor. Open your Bible to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 16. I don't have time to read this whole psalm, Psalm 16, but if you get a chance to look at it later, 
I'm just going to read the last couple of verses. Uh, this psalm is actually quoted in Peter's sermon in Pentecost. Really important. But I'm just going to read verses 10 and 11. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The question that all of us need to answer and and truly ask ourselves is do we believe that? Do we believe that in God's presence there are more blessings than what this world can offer us? And I hope by looking at the example of Moses and his parents that we'd have the faith that is put into action, that is willing to suffer for the right things. That we'd be people who would be the kind of people who would create communities where we would share our struggles and our hardships. That we would see the bitter lie of sin and what it promises, but have faith to look forward our future reward in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. Lord, thank you that you have made known to us the path of life. And Father, even though so very seldom do we experience, God, we do know that in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, help these students, help even me, Lord, to enjoy these pleasures more and more each day as we feed on Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.